the Accidental Engineer. Welcome all, Max of the Accidental Engineer here. Today we have the pleasure of Mary Rose Cook joining us. Welcome, Mary. Hi. For our audience that don't know Mary, uh, I personally came across Mary from her amazing writings about the internals of Git, the most popular version control software. I highly recommend our audience go check them out. But for our audience that don't already know Mary, Mary, do you mind introducing yourself a little bit? Sure, yeah, absolutely. Um, hi, I'm Mary. I've been programming for some time and I have worked as a programmer for, for a number of years. And at the moment, I kind of spend part of my time programming and part of my time helping people learn to program at a place called Megs Academy, which is a software development bootcamp in London in the UK. And you've been in the education space of programming for a fair while, but before that you worked at Ableton, the popular mm. uh, music recording, electronic music tooling uh, software company. Uh, That's right, yeah. For our audience that are curious about kind of the education space in programming, you wrote a really great article about how you handle beginners' requests or your students' requests about uh, help with programming problems. For our audience that haven't read it yet, can you kind of give a, a glimpse of your approach to how you handle these requests for help that your students might might bring to you? Sure, absolutely. I started noticing that I would coach uh, people as they were learning program, and I noticed that people came with basically the same types of requests every every time and there was usually they needed similar classes of help for, for those different types of things so to give you an example something might be like oh i've got a bug and i can't fix it um there would be maybe only two or three sort of responses that would usually help um that person learn because um, the goal was always to help them learn rather than to solve their problem um, and so that might be something like getting them to talk it uh, explain it to me, you know, using me as a sort of rubber duck or getting them to talk about what they've tried um, or uh, getting them to diagram out the problem or, or, or whatever. Um, and uh, usually that would sort of unstick them. Um, and I made this list because A, to sort of help me just remember what my sort of the, the, the solutions I'd used in the past that seemed helpful. Um, but B, that the main value of it was actually to switch off my problem-solving brain and try and help me um, kind of stay in touch with a sort of coaching brain, but by which I mean um, uh, the worst thing that I could do is solve their problem. Um, and the sort of second worst thing I could do is leave them with basically, you know, no further to, to sort of solving whatever their problem is. Um, so I just want to give them that tiny, tiniest little morsel of breadcrumbs that will just help them take the next step towards, you know, their goal. And the reason I want it to be really small, that morsel and a small step is because I want them to do as much of the figuring out as possible. So the more I can get out of the way, the better. Um, and so, like I say, this list would help me kind of remember no you're coaching you're not uh like solving someone's problem totally fair totally fair <laughs> i mean as i i was reading your your list of, of kind of best practices for handling you know people coming to you with a problem to solve <laughs> and mm -hmm. and your various ways to to you know guide them away from yourself in 
helping them educate themselves on right. the method and the process of self-education. I'm reminded of my first software engineering job where I would physically go up to my coworker who I knew was, <laughs> you know, the sharpest coworker, and I would yeah. stand by their shoulder until they'd pay attention to me. <laughs> and I, and I, I, I could tell that over time he adapted to, you know, ignore my physical presence. And I, I, I thank him for that in a lot of ways because I totally, as I was reading your list of, of ways to help people educate themselves in programming, realized that that's what had happened to me is that I overutilized him as a resource to the point that he was fatigued with my physical <laughs> presence. So at, at a certain point, um, it's really up to yourself to self-educate. And I, I really admire the things that you've written down in that list. And I'll, I'll include a link in the show notes, obviously. Thanks. Uh, one of the things about the Makers Academy and, and other uh, starting from zero type of uh, software education programs that I'm curious about is that specifically the topic of test-driven development and, and mm. starting off beginners with making uh, the software development process uh, revolve around writing tests first. Uh, for an audience that might not be familiar with test-driven development and maybe why you think uh, it should be a priority early in uh, software engineers' uh, learnings, what, what is TDD and uh, why, why is it a good place to start? Sure. Um, uh, TDD is um, yeah stands for test driven development, and and what that means is um, you uh, you write a test, which is a, a very short program that checks that the program you're going to write does what it should do. So, for example, if I'm trying to write a program that adds two numbers, then I might write a test that checks that when I feed my program, I don't know two and three or something, that it does actually you know give me back the right answer um, of, of, of two plus three. Um, and uh, the, the, the idea there is that in the test, I've enshrined what I am expecting to happen. And so I've been, I forced myself, well, I'll get to the value of it for in a second. Anyway, so, but what TDD is, um, it, and, and so once I've written that test, now I can develop my code. Um, and every time uh, I make a change, then I can rerun my test, which is just, like I say, a small program that I can run um, almost almost instantly. Um, and then it will tell me if my code is correct or not correct. Um, and the theory is, is that um, once that test passes, I can just stop writing code because um, I've now implemented that feature um, and I can maybe move on to the next feature, which might involve writing another test or, or, or whatever. Um, uh, now, as for as for the sort of I don't know educational value of, of test driven development, um, it's a it's a little more abstract. But um, one of the things that I think we find new programmers struggle with the most is kind of structuring their work, basically. Um, and what test driven development does is it gives them a, a structure or a scaffold um, uh, that they can work against. So they they have this process that's pretty pretty straightforward, which is you write a test first that encodes the behavior you're expecting. Then you write code that passes the test. And then you write another test. And then you write more code and so on. Um, and so they always know what they should be doing right now. They're either writing a test or they're trying to pass that test. Um, it also means that they get regular 
positive feedback of like, great, I'm back to green. I, I you know, the, 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 it is, it is showing me green check marks that I've, that I've passed my tests. Um, and so that stops people, again, it's more scaffolding. It stops people getting lost. Um, but I think probably the, the subtlest and, and, but potentially most powerful part of test driven development for new developers is that, um, it forces them to think about what they're trying to achieve rather than how they want to achieve it. Um, and that's, there's a, there's a software design lesson there where um, getting sort of bound up in how you're going to uh, implement something is often the wrong thing to focus on. What, what you want to focus on is what you want the behavior of your program to be. Um, and then maybe after you figured that out, you want to figure out, okay, well, how should the person who's using my code, how should they um, express their intents, which is to say, how should I design the interface of my code? So this causes the new developer, and I, I would say any developer, um, to, to, to think about those things in the right order and, and remember to remembering to prioritize the important part, which is getting doing the right thing and doing it in, in an elegant way. Um, and then, as I say, then the implementation comes a little bit later, and then they can focus on the, the sort of how, if you like. So um, they, there's this nice flipping backwards and forwards between test, which is sort of the, the, the what, um, and then implementation, which is which is the how. Um, and so this structure helps new developers learn to design their software. So you can uh, imagine that, that topics like encapsulation come through pretty nicely with that structure and um, writing small interfaces and um, uh, hiding implementation details, um, modularizing your code, um, making and, and so on all, all comes through really nicely with this sort of framework of test driven development. In earnest, I agree that that's a great place for beginner software engineers to start. And it's something that unfortunately classical computer science education rarely gets to in, you know, your first, mm. first few semesters of an undergraduate degree in computer science. Uh, so I think it's great that you guys are getting your students practical experience with, you know, the real world issues of does my software work as uh, the customer wants it to. Um, mm. I think one added benefit that I didn't dawn on me for at least a couple of years after starting my software engineering career that TDD helps with is you will always realize that there are edge cases that you didn't account for in your software. Mm. And TDD allows you to write a test to reproduce a failure case. And yep. when your students graduate and go to take their first jobs, it's really uh, beneficial to be able to prove to maybe their managers, you know, oh, this is a reproduction of what that customer encountered, and now I can assure you it'll never happen again. And that's, mm, absolutely. That's totally one, one other um, amazing benefit that your students are getting from the approach you guys take to educating them. The other, the other topic I wanted to ask you about that I, mm. I think is really important in early education of software engineering and that you've written a great deal about is version control. And mm -hmm. another topic that gets lightly addressed in classical computer science education, <laughs> but on the job is probably the most important tool people will work mm. with. Uh, for audience that aren't familiar with Git at, at the 10,000 foot perspective, um, mm -hmm. what is it? Why, why is it so important? Git is a way to take something large like and complex like a code base and describe the changes that have been made to it and the pieces of it in a way that allows it to be legible 
for people who are, who are coming after you. So in, in sort of more specifically, that means that when I do a small a, a change to a, a, a code base, then I can use Git to both kind of like draw a circle around the code that I've changed and also explain what part it plays, that change plays in, 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 the, in, the, in the rest of the code base, which means that when someone else sees my change, they can understand right away, hopefully, what, what it's for. Um, and they can also understand how it, how it kind of relates to the rest of the code base. And um, because code's so complex, then this is, I, I always sort of see it as like a sort of, um, like putting in signposts or something like that around your code that allows someone to navigate it in a way that would be way harder without version control. Um, and then the second benefit is because all of your changes are being recorded in the computer, then you can, um, if you like, make changes to the changes that you made. So you can say, oh, let me actually maybe not have that change right now, or let me combine these three changes um, uh, in a new version of my software. Um, and so again, it's, it's, a, it's a way of having these, these blocks of your code that you can understand and then kind of recombine and add and remove parts pr pr pretty easily, I would say. Fair enough, fair enough. One, <laughs> one similar metaphor that I just thought about was the, that, our, that our audience might have experience with is the concept of a Google document or a Google Doc with the mm. tracking changes or Microsoft Word too. When somebody might be editing your essay, <laughs> they might not be editing, you know, the actual text of your essay, but they might be making suggestions that you can then uh, approve or reject. Um, similar is kind of true of of a Git is that um, it's a way for I guess teams of software engineers to work together on uh, making uh, changes to a shared Google Doc, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. Uh, but the, the thing I want to highlight uh, about uh, maybe the writings that you've published, Mary, are that you do an amazing job of breaking down how Git works under the covers. It's something I, I didn't oh, have time to <laughs> really dig into. And you, uh, I recommend our audience go check out the, the implementation of Git in JavaScript that Mary has on her website. Mm -hmm. uh, what are, what are the core building blocks of Git when it comes to the operations you can perform on your you know code base that you might be working on along with a team of other people? Sure. Um, uh, I, I would say that, that probably the most important um, two commands are commit, which is where you say, hey, this section of code, um, I'm going to annotate it with a message that describes it. Um, and then add it to, um, or sort of um, add it to uh, this, this, this uh, to my Git repository. So, which is just like I say, basically just labeling a section of code. Um, and so that's committing. Um, and then the other most important operation is is push, um, which is where you say, right, I've got all this code on my machine. I want to send that change to the people that I'm collaborating with. And so what that means is it goes up to uh, a server where that all of the other people that you're collaborating with can access it, and they can then do the analog of a uh, of a push, which is a pull, which is to say, hey, yeah, give me that change and and anything else that's changed recently. And then I can integrate it back into into my local repository. So this is where the kind of people call get a distributed uh, version control system because we all have our own version of the code, but then we can say, hey, here's some changes that I think you you might find useful. Um, and then someone can say, yes, I will take those changes. 
carrying the Google Doc metaphor. Yeah, great. I guess I guess the analogy would be that a a Git repository is like an individual Google Doc, and and as a professional software engineer, you might be working on a team that has more than one repository or more than one Google Doc, and the analogy of a commit might be that instead of uh, you know reporting every tracking change you make to your shared document. Commit allows you to group together all of your proposed changes into a single uh, change request or merge request, yeah. as it's called on GitHub. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, what's some of the, I, I read recently that there's a background to the terminology behind a merge request or a pull request. Uh, mm. For our audience that might not get the intuition behind the naming of things like commit or push or pull or merge request, pull request. Is there, is there some kind of uh, mnemonic or intuition you can share with the audience about how to think about those terms? Sure. Yeah. It's an interesting question. Um, I, I commit. Um, so a lot, a lot of, some of the terminology comes from earlier version control systems that, that used to be more popular. Like this one called subversion, another one called CVS. Um, and so some of that stuff is sort of carried over. And so commit basically means it sort of sounds a bit like what it, what, what the word means, which is to say, as you say, I've got these changes and I want to sort of commit to them being a, a bundle and to them being part of uh, part of the history of the repository, if you like, the sort of the notable occurrences. Um, and then and then push is, is 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 a little more kind of easy to get hold of because it's sort of you really are taking some changes, some commits on your machine and pushing them to somewhere else that is probably on a on a different machine. Um, then uh, uh, what what's kind of interesting about Git is that it was a it's a piece of software, but it's had tons of terminology layered on to it by a company called GitHub, um, who essentially allow people to put their Git repositories online and, and collaborate on them. Um, and so they invented the, the, the concept of a pull request, which is where it's sort of an amazing invention where people who don't know each other um, can say, oh, you've got this cool um, Git repository, you've got this cool code base that, that you've put online. Um, uh, I've, I've made a change to it, and, and because it's open source, I, I was able to download it. The code um, and I've made a change that I think you might like. So um, the person who's made the change would tell the owner of the of the code base uh, that by by issuing a pull request, which is saying, "Hey, you should pull my changes. You should take my changes from my version of your of your software and put it put it in your version." Um, which, like I say, allows people who don't really know each other to to collaborate. Makes sense. Makes sense. Uh, mm-hmm. I've. Like I, I said, I've kind of been gushing praise about this, but I think it's great that uh, in prioritizing those two subjects of test-driven development and uh, version control tools in people's education, uh, that, that you guys at Makers Academy are setting people up really well. Um, that being said, we should definitely uh, plug Makers Academy well. <laughs> uh, for student aspirational software engineering students in the UK. Uh, where is Makers Academy located, or are there remote options for learning? Yeah, um, there's. It's 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 located in London and uh, in the UK. It's a three week, sorry, a three month course that takes you from sort of almost almost no knowledge at all to to to, to being a professional software developer. 
we'll, we'll include yeah, a, sure. we'll include a link in the show notes. So obviously, cool. uh, the other thing we should definitely plug is Mary's website. Uh, that's maryrosecook.com, uh, also in the show notes. Uh, if you want to check out, uh, for example, the list Mary has about how to effectively uh, educate uh, someone who comes to you with a programming question, uh, <laughs> if you want to read about how Git is implemented under the covers, great resource. Uh, Mary, thank you for coming home. Thank you so much for having me. It's been, it's been really, really nice to talk to you, Max. Really, really nice. Likewise. Hope to do it again soon. Absolutely. For more, visit us on iTunes or our website at theaccidentalengineer.com.